Gig Gab, episode 235 for Monday, December 2nd, 2019. And welcome back to Gig Gab, the show by, for, and about working musicians. Sponsors for this episode include meetcircle.com slash gig gab. We'll talk more about what you'll find at that URL a little bit later. But for now, here in Snowmageddon, Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Rainmageddon, San Jose, California, it's Paul Kent. Yeah, there you go. The, uh... The, it's it's time for the uh, for the precipitation, it seems. So we will precipitate the gig gab, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's precipitate. Well done. Uh, I don't know. It's something to do. I, <laughs> I um, you know, I, I don't know how how long this conversation will go, but I had uh, so we took last week off because of some scheduling stuff and the holiday. And so happy Thanksgiving to everybody who celebrated. Happy and I Thanksgiving. Hope, hope you all had a great time with your friends or family or even alone. Like, I just hope you had a good time and maybe some fun gigs because that night before Thanksgiving can be uh, a fun night for gigs sometimes. But um, I did not play then, but I did play two gigs uh, in the same club, the Dover Brick House in Dover, New Hampshire here. Uh Two gigs, two nights in a row, two different bands, two different rooms, uh, but the same club. I played downstairs for a seven to ten happy hour wing night thing with Amanda Dane, uh, which is a gig I've played several times with her. And and it went amazingly well. Uh, she had a guitar player that I'd never played with before. Uh, this guy, Nevin Brown, and a the bass player that I have played with before John. Oh, why can't I, it's, I, his name's on the tip of my tongue. And now that I'm doing the show, I can't remember it. Uh, upright bass player. Fantastic. And everybody just listened and blended. Well, uh, the, you know, harmonies were good, but the, the, the playing was good. It was just really, really a nice night. And we, you know, all cover tunes. Cause that's what, uh, that's what Amanda does. And it works out great for that kind of crowd. We had this one guy there, it might be the biggest tip I've ever received as a band um, at a public gig. Certainly some private gigs, you know, you play a wedding or something and, and it, sometimes the tip is, you know, more than you would make at a, at a normal gig. But we had this one guy there, Paul, who uh, I think he was former army or something. He said he had suffered PTSD and recovered from it. Uh, and now his goal was just to make the world a happy place. And he was loving, he was, he was enjoying the whole night. And then we wound up playing some Eagles songs and the guy like almost broke into tears. Uh, uh, and probably not because we, we did play them well, but, but it was more probably, you know, the memories that they conjure. Uh, and he was just so happy and throughout the night he kept tipping us. But by the end of the night, he had tipped us 300 bucks. Oh yeah, I know. Which was, you know, made it worth leaving the house on a Thursday night. Um, but it was really like it was a it was a really nice thing. Like he came up to each of us and he was really, really happy and he would dance even if nobody else was dancing. And, and he just had a blast. So it was, it was one of those things where it's like being able to watch, you know, that much joy, at least be inspired in someone by by what you're doing, if not created in someone by what you're doing is um it, I mean, it, you know, it's fantastic. It's 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 lovely to have that kind of, you know, visceral, immediate, palpable response. So 
so that gig went really well. It was a nice, nice kind of night. So I, I, I thought that was a pretty good tip. I, I'm trying to think over the years if I've, I, you know, we've had some people drop a C note here or there, but never one person that puts three of them in the, in the tip jar. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Good for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. And then the next night I played, uh, upstairs at the same club. It's more of a, a full rock room upstairs, like a, you know, typical kind of rock club. Uh, at least I would call it a new England rock club. And, uh, I played with my friend Billy's band, Bitter Pill, the band that I played with Mm -hmm. on Halloween. And it was part of a four act night. There was the opening. uh, The opener was a solo guitar, acoustic guitar player. And then us and then two other bands, uh, Scrimmy, uh, this this guitar, guitar player with his band played third. And then the left lane cruisers are a touring act from... I want to say somewhere in the Midwest uh, who closed out the night and everybody was fantastic. It was all basically original music. It's possible somebody played a cover here or there, but it was, you know, it was an original music night. Uh, We shared gear. I think uh, I used Scrimmies drums and then uh, left lane cruisers had their own drums, but it just made for an easier changeover. It had been a long time since I had done a, a night like that. You know, where where it was a multi-band bill, all original stuff. And the crowd was fantastic. There were people there to see every band and they kind of, you know, everybody was there to appreciate everything. And it, you know, these two gigs that I've done with Bitter Pill reminded me of how much, how different the energy level is, especially, you know, literally playing in the same club the night before uh, with Amanda doing it you know, the, the happy hour kind of cover thing It reminded me of the, the different energy that is possible when you're playing original music fling plays some originals we've done. Uh, we, we always, we play originals every show, but, but you know, they are mixed in with covers and it most definitely is like a, a show where we play cover songs and then, and then we'll mix in our originals kind of as our, our vanity tunes, if you will. Uh, the vibe of an all original night is something I had I had forgotten what that was like. Uh, it reminded me of my clam bake days, reminded me of my go figure days back in college and just having people that are there. You know, remember this band, Bitter Pill, has been playing all year. Basically, uh, they probably have done, you know, I want to say 25 gigs, but it might be more than that this year. They've developed a following uh and now they've, you know, at least for the last two gigs, had me join them as a drummer. As, as but it, it, what's interesting is dealing, interacting with, not dealing with that. That uh, implies that it's a negative thing. <laughs> it's actually a very positive thing. Interacting with their crowd, right? Because there's people that know their songs, know the band. They come to see them. You know, they are groupies for for Bitter Pill, and meeting these people, some of them for the first time the other night, some of them for the second time because they were there for both gigs. Uh, all very positive, welcoming, you know, mm. talking about how, you know, very, very into these songs that are that were written, not, not by me, but by, you know, Billy and or some of the other people on stage. Uh, having that that interaction where they're, they're really paying attention to the songs and to the music. Right. You know, having that the, there was one guy the other night who came up to me and he's like, oh, the way, you, you know, the groove that you put on this song 
it changes it, but it's, you know, it's better. And, and he actually also, I mean, Billy and I, and this guy were talking and, and he's like, you know, for a band that didn't need a drummer, you guys really needed a drummer. He's like, this really works. It, it brings the energy up to another level and, and really helps drive the things, which was a nice, nice thing to hear, obviously. But, mm. uh, but that, that whole thing where people are there be, at least in part because of the music or paying attention to the music. Maybe they're there for the party. Maybe they're there for, you know, lots of other reasons. They're there because they're friends of someone in the band or, you know, however all of that stuff starts in its sort of organic way. But I had forgotten what that vibe was like, where people were really paying attention to the songs and the evolution of the songs and night to night. We got a lot of that in both go figure uh, and in the clam bake where people would be like, Oh, that's interesting. You know, the way you guys did this harmony or, you know, whatever, like those sorts of things. It, it, it's really, it's a nice thing being on stage and having people, most of the people there, at least the, the fans of the band, they're paying attention to that stuff at that level. It's like, Oh, right. This is, this is all it, energizing on a whole different level. And I had completely forgotten about it. Uh, until I played that gig, it's like right, yeah, I want to do more of this. So, so hopefully, Bitter Pill, story, yeah. hopefully, Bitter Pill asked me to play more with them. I would, I would love it, and I've told them that this is not a you know passive aggressive thing on the show here. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, I mean, I can only imagine. I, I wish, I want to write so bad. You know, I really, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm so freaking hard on myself. Everything I write, I'm like, oh, that's not good enough. Nobody will like that, and I, just, I don't know how to even get myself kickstarted to it. But you know, the concept of expressing something original and having and having other humans react positively to it and reaffirming it is just you know the closest i get is this is this coffee shop right b- band that i have right and i told you it's like yep one of the few places where all the chairs are facing the performer people are there to listen to music i mean you know the, you know there it's it's a performance yeah. opportunity and and even the like really good musicians who sit in with me on that stuff it's different than when you're just the loudest thing in a club you know but people are dancing or drinking or socializing you know some are listening to you you know maybe more than some are listening to you sure but it's not about every nuance that you can pull out it's just it's not it's not intimate. It's not connecting in that in that it's type that, of way. That level of connection is is the thing I had forgotten about. Uh, yeah, that's exactly it. Is is that where people are paying attention because of the music in right. part? Not you know. I mean, obviously, there's still people that are there and chit chatting in the back of the room or well, you know whatever. I mean, it's you know it is a bar. It's how it works. But that even happens. At concerts, right? You, you know, you, you people buy tickets and pay hundreds of dollars to go see a band and they spend half their time in the beer line or whatever. Like, you know, this this kind of thing. They're, they're, you're never going to get into a scenario where 100 percent of the people, unless there's only one person there and they're there to see the band, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which which I suppose I've experienced. So, you know, that, but it was a fun night. Um, it was a really fun night. Really fun thing. The, the interesting thing. And man, I didn't even think about this until. We were like in the you know middle of the first song is we were using, you know, sharing a back line with with this other band, which was fine. You know, makes life easy. I didn't have to bring drums. It was up uh, on the second floor of this building. So that was kind of nice. Yep. I, I, you know, so all of that was good. I mean, I brought some stuff. I brought cymbals and a snare drum and, and that sort of thing. But um, <laughs> it was the first gig that I have done. I, I don't even know how long. It certainly. It feels like certainly longer than this podcast and probably a decade or more 
it has been since I have played a gig, a lot, you know, a full rock gig on drum set without using in-ears. I was using a wedge. The sound guy was great. I know this guy. I've worked with him before. Albert did a fantastic job making everything sound good. But how spoiled I have become um, not having to, A, deal with the the, the level. I, it, it, in addition to just not being able to hear as well as I would have wanted to, uh, having a monitor wedge next to my snare drum changes everything. Like it, it makes me play louder. It, it really makes the, the, it makes the room seem boomier to me. Like I'm, I've gotten very used to being back by my drums and having nothing other than drums being the, the source of volume around me. And so I'm not having to compete with anything. Anything that I want to hear is, you know, inside my ear, not outside competing with, you know, symbols and the wash of everything. It, Listen, folks, if you haven't gone the in-ear route, especially if you're a drummer, just go do it. It like you can, especially as a drummer, you can do it pretty cheap, like way less than 500 bucks. You can you can do this right. You get the like the Rolls uh, PM 50 S headphone amp. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, there's the new one, too. And I always forget which one. Uh, yeah. And no, I think it's the PM 50 S now is the is the new one that I've been testing from them. And, uh, and, and that's like 50 bucks or something. Right. Mm. Uh, and, and because you don't need wireless, if you're a drummer, I, at least I find that I don't need it. Cause where am I going to go? I got a drum stool that I'm going to sit on. So it's fine to have a cord. Uh, maybe it's the S E maybe it's the 50 S E. So, but I'll put a link in the show notes and, uh, and then you can get, you know, you can spend as much as you want on your, you know, your earphones, but mm-hmm. you can do it. You can get decent earphones for a hundred bucks. You know, that that will work and get you moving towards it. And then you'll probably want to save up as you gig a little bit more and and maybe get something, you know, a little nicer, custom fitted or whatever. But man, like it makes a huge difference. I really should have just asked Albert, can you give me a feed? I'm sure it wouldn't have been a big deal at all. I just, you know, I was being that nice guy. You Whenever you do a gig, any gig, but especially a gig like that where there's four bands, you know, the engineer is going to be overworked for the night. I always and we've talked about this before. I always try and pick my battles, right? Not and not battles, but pick the amount, limit, the amount of things that I ask for that are about sure. me. Right. You know, I mean, I get what I need and then basically <clears throat> stop there. It's a 40 minute set. You know, you're not having to do this for three hours. You, you get what you need and then and then you play, you know, you, you make it through. And and I certainly made it through, but I couldn't hear harmonies as well as I wanted. I couldn't hear the instruments as well as I wanted. Like it just never got comfortable. I mean, I, we had a really comfortable gig. It went really well, but it could have been even better. And it mm. probably wouldn't have taken much at all. He had a digital mixer, probably on Wi-Fi. It it probably would have almost arguably been easier for him if I had, especially if I had reached out in advance and said, "Hey." Uh, you know, can I do this? If so, what's the password? So you don't even have to tell me at the gig. Like you worry about you. I'll worry about me. Just feed me a line. I'll take care of the rest. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, I, I should have. But, yeah, but it was just interesting. It was enlightening. It was like, right. Don't take it for granted. Those ears are a beautiful thing. <laughs> so anyway, you have you found your comfort place with those. Like as we've discussed many yeah. times, I still haven't. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. Hey, I have hey, a question for you. I, 
Can you can I ask you to hold that question for one minute? I will gladly hold that question. Awesome. Awesome. I want to actually I want to find out what this question is. First, I want to tell everybody about Circle Home Plus. This is the thing that you need for your network at home, right? Because you're a musician, if you're listening to this, or at least you're interested in music, which probably means that your kids are even more creative, smarter and adventurous than the average kid. But if they're using all of these gifts to get onto parts of the Internet that you perhaps wanted to keep off limits, this is where Circle can help because Circle is this award winning. It's a it's a device that you put that's the Circle Home Plus and you put this on your network and it allows you to manage your family's online time across all your connected devices inside and outside the home with circle as a parent you can filter what content is allowed you can set limits for screen time right you can monitor history and usage and you can even reward your kids for good behavior you just plug this circle home plus into your router download the app and then you can keep track uh, across every device laptops phones tablets even smart tvs streaming devices video game consoles all from one place and it's no wonder that circle have been getting grave Grave? No. Rave <laughs> reviews. Why would I That'd say be different. That would be different. Yeah, they've been getting rave reviews. Uh, maybe it's my band that's been getting grave reviews, but Circle's <laughs> been getting rave reviews. Well, it's Bitter Pill is the name of the band, so it's kind of this, you know, Halloween-y thing. So maybe grave reviews for, for Bitter Pill are a good thing. But for Circle, the rave reviews from the Chicago Tribune, People, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and many more. Listen, you do anything for your kids, so with Circle... You can do something easy that'll keep your family on the right path. Right now, as a listener to GigGab, you get a limited time offer of $30 off a Circle Home Plus, but you have to use this special URL. It is meetcircle.com slash giggab and then enter GigGab at checkout. So it's $30 off is what you get when you visit meetcircle.com slash giggab and enter Gig Gab at checkout. One more time with feeling. That's meetcircle.com slash gig gab and enter gig gab to save $30. Check it out. Circle Home Plus, our thanks to Circle for sponsoring this episode. All right, Paul. Thanks, Circle. Yeah. Well, my question is this. It's that time of year, Dave, and um, it's time to work some holiday songs into the into the various sets. I'm actually doing a, a whole show of holiday songs. I just want to know, like, what holiday songs have you enjoyed playing? I mean, we we... The House Rockers do Bruce's Santa Claus is Coming to Town, always you know popular. We also, because we have such a great sax player, we do a sax solo of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. That's just beautiful. But what have you, what have you done that you like playing that, uh, you know, do you do them as sing-alongs? Do you do them? What, what's worked in the holiday realm for you? Um, there are... There are a couple. My it's it, my favorite song to play this time of year. I don't know why. Maybe because it's just so anthemic. Is "Auld Lang Syne," right? I mean, you really only get to play that once a year. Yeah. Uh, but but it is I, like the the melody line of that is is not only recognizable, but it really it's one of those really strong melodies, right? And and it's it's a lead line. So I always like. When it can be incorporated into other things, right? So, like, uh, we do Rocky Horror uh, at the Seacoast Rep Theater every Christmas, and I always try and get the guitar player to, on New Year's Eve anyway, because uh, we do it on Christmas night and then also New Year's Eve both at midnight, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I always try and get the the guitar player to incorporate that into one of the lead lines in one of the the tunes, you know, as part of his solo or whatever. When we did Hedwig last year, the show starts with the band playing just the first you know bit of the melody from America the Beautiful, Beautiful, which is another one of those really sort of powerful lead lines. And so last year we we swapped it out and did All Lang Syne because you know as a big like you know metal kind of thing and that worked. <laughs> it, no, it was great. Like everybody loved it. Um, but I have done. I'm trying to think. I, I've done the the Bruce song. I when. The responders, we used to do Slade's Merry Christmas, Everybody, uh, which I think is bigger in the UK than it is here. But in in front of the right crowd, that went over really, really well. So I remember doing that one. I'm trying to think if I've learned any. I mean, I've, I've played a bunch. We Oh, we used to play the Heat Miser song in Fling uh, for our Christmas gigs, which people always like. That's one of those things where everybody knows it, but, you, yeah. you know, nobody nobody actually goes and does it. So that was kind of kitschy and fun. Yeah. How about um, Mellencamp's I Saw Mama Kissing Santa Claus? I've done that one. That's a fun one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Kind of rocks. Meat and potatoes. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many darn Christmas albums out there. There's a lot of like material to choose from if you're going to if you want to get any kind of style. But um, I'm going to do a show that that coffee house thing I do, which has turned into a you know community sing along thing is going to be a Christmas edition this week. So we got you know maybe 10, 15 songs. Oh, nice. That, and the thing about Christmas songs, a lot of them are so short. I mean, so getting enough together for a whole two hour show, two and a half hour show, you actually you need to think about time for those. things. That That's the problem is it, you know, you get to play them, you know, for one season a year, which might just mean one gig, uh, yeah. but, you know, and you spend, you know, just as much time learning them if you want to do them well as you would many other songs that you then can't. You know, you can't pull them out. You pull out one of these tunes in in May or something. People are like, why are they playing that song? I mean, unless there's yep. unless there's something that happened, like if somebody shows up at the gig in a Santa hat. Well, right. OK, now you can go with it. But uh, otherwise, yeah, not so much. <laughs> so, yeah, it's tough well, to balance that. Yeah. The band that never rehearses is actually going to rehearse because it's, you know. Wow. It's, it's going to be 12 songs and that we've never played together and. Yeah. You know, even though I'm sending out. So it's worth a run through. So we're going to do that the night before and just kind of run through the things. But that'll be it. But that I bet, you know, it's the band that never rehearses for you, but it is a band that has played regularly enough. Everybody knows each other. So it's not like you're coming in and everybody's got to learn how to play together. You know how to play together. Now you just need to learn how to play these songs together. And actually, what's interesting is about these songs is that everybody has them somewhere to some degree in their consciousness. Right. I mean, it's not like learning a song that you've never heard before and the forms are entirely crazy. Although like many things, when something's in your mind and it got into your mind incorrectly, it's really hard to get it that's, out. That's the worst. Actually, that's, <laughs> I, I, that's worse than not knowing the song and having to just follow a chart, you, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that should be fun. Someday, yeah. Someday you should take people through Dave's uh, unique shorthand chart writing process. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, but it, I'm a, I'm a drummer, right? So my, um, although I guess, I, I, I guess you could use, you could adapt my, my process. It, the, 
yeah, it's a weird thing. I don't know. I'd have to think of why don't we wait until I prep for the next madhouse and we'll do it because it'll be more in my head. It's been it's been a couple of months since I've had to, like, you know, chart something in, in that way. So I should I should refresh myself with my own process before trying to well, teach it to others it is actually quite a bit of a personal process, right? It's, totally. also, it's a bunch of yeah. it's a shorthand and it's, a, you know, little little notes that make sense only to you. And some people just literally chart it. Literally. Yes. And actually, I've had drummers who have sat in with us, you know, not, not that many times over the years, but who said, just send me your lead trumpet chart and that'll be fine for me. And Absolutely. Well, that that as a drummer, I was trained to use that playing in jazz band in like middle school and high school because there were songs like sometimes we would get charts that would include a drum part, you know, and, and the drum parts were always very loose anyway. But other times it was. You know, just to hear the band director be like, follow the lead trumpet part. And and my drum teacher, even at the time, was like, you got to learn how to do this, Um, because even even a drum chart for jazz bands, like rarely will it have any drum specific stuff written in it. It's usually just slashes through measures that, you, you know, play seven measures and then fill on the eighth or, you know, whatever that works out to be. But rarely is it written like play ding, ding, a ding, ding, a ding on the rock. Like you, you just, you just hear it and play. Uh, but any of the hits are usually just copies of the lead trumpet rhythms that are just, you know, scribbled in above the, the bar line or something. So it's like, well, if, if that's all you're going to give me, just, give it to me, you know, I'll, I'll take the lead, lead trumpet part and, and I can, you know, I can go from there. Um, with rock tunes, I just take a, a lyric sheet with lead, you know, with yep. maybe, maybe with chords. I, 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 I am comfortable enough playing like piano or guitar that it actually is helpful to me to see the chords. Cause I can, I can hear where we are in the form by, Oh, okay. We've gone to the five chords here. Okay, great. Like I, I know I'm not lost. I'm, I, you know, here we are. Great. I can, I can move on or whatever. So, mm. yeah, I mean, it, it helps on those instrumental sections or whatever, where it's like, okay, I, I know even just knowing how many chords, how many different chords the, the band is playing in that instrumental section helps me know, oh, okay, here's where the, the turnaround's coming. We're, we're going to yeah, be leading sense. into a chorus, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. We have, um, uh, a big New Year's Eve gig. We have a, we have one corporate holiday gig coming up, and we just have a really good, solid all the hits set list to play for that. Yeah. But um, we have a we have a, a, a New Year's Eve gig coming up that's open to the public thing, and I wanted to add something just to keep things a little bit fresh and just make things interesting. And we don't really have time to have some horn charts written right now, and and. Uh, and really have guys learn something from scratch. So I've gone into the archives of the house rockers and pulled out a couple songs that we've had over the years that we, it's time to dust them off. They haven't been in a set list for quite a while. Just thought I'd lay them on you. See if you've played any of them. Um, Freeze frame. Oh, I've never played that tune, but I would love to. That's such a great song. So fun, right? Yep. Yep. And um, Elvis Costello's pump it up. Yeah, you and I have played that together in, yeah. in the uh, but yeah, I've played that in several bands. We played it in the All Stars and I played it in the Responders. I don't think we did it in Fling, but we might have at one point. But that's a fun one. That's a weird groove for a drummer, at least for this particular drummer. Uh, it's not an overly difficult groove. Like technically, it's it's pretty straight ahead. But that's and and all of the Elvis Costello stuff is is this way to me. 
you have to lean like I find I got to lean way into the, the beat to play that stuff. It's almost ahead of the beat, uh, you know, uh-huh. that and peace, love, understanding that all that stuff is just a style of that guy who was in the attractions. Was, yeah. Was, created those grooves that way. Exactly. Did you and I decide that he was the one in that video that we saw when? Um, yes. When uh, that television show that Elvis Costello had for a while the, on on one of the cable channels, and uh, I, I, it caught my attention because Springsteen sat in on it one time, and they, and Elvis and Bruce played a couple together, and I was like, "Who is that band?" And you know, Keith I thought Thomas, the drummer was man. really good, yeah, really good, yeah. Um, you know, the the thing about um, "Pump It Up," it's almost like um, "Honky Tonk Woman." The temptation to make it heavier, more distorted than it needs to be. I mean, remember that song is a real kind of sixties for a piece of organ sound. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a weird sound that kind of creates the mood for that song, but the temptation to just drive those, those, uh, chromatic chords. Um, it, it, the song is better when you don't play it too hard, but it feels so good to play overly hard. It feels like, like you should play it hard. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah, and especially because it's I, I you know, it might have to do with well, there's that 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 lick, right? That that really wants to be this, you know, overly distorted thing but isn't. And then it's fast, right? So the energy yeah. is there or should be there without overdoing it. That's probably one of the I've never sang that song, but that's probably one of those songs where there's the temptation to oversing it too. And man, yeah. that that's something that I've I've tried to become more and more aware of, of course, it drives me crazy now when I I'm like on stage and other people do it, but that temptation to over sing because you want to communicate the emotion you're feeling, unless you're a really, really good singer, good singer. Absolutely. That's a bad idea. Like, and we live in a world sing. where everybody riffs everything all the time. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of like faux soul singers who think they're Ariana Grande. Yeah. You know, yeah. She's and you're not talented and you're not. And I, you know, I think we said this once on the show together, the best thing that semi-professional singers or people who are not, you know, blessed great singers but you're leading your band you're the singer whether like I, i've told you before i ended up singing just because i couldn't find anybody to front right. my band right that i liked a lot and you know lots and lots and still ongoing i, trial I think and error. that's probably true for many people listening here it's certainly true for this guy right here i i am much happier playing a gig with without singing any leads i'm fine singing harmonies i can hit notes but i you know tone wise you know i can sing in tune as long as I don't oversing it, you know, but that's it. And but yeah. that's what I'm saying. The biggest tip, the biggest thing I could ever say to 99 out of a hundred bands that I see with singers who have solid tone, solid sure. pitch. Don't oversing. Don't add over inflections. Just sing don't, it straight. That's just it. Sing it straight. And if you go back and listen to a lot of, especially, you know, classic rock, Right. It's a lot simpler than you do. People, I think people tend to add inflections and stuff to cover up for their own insecurities. But I don't think it's always about overly trying to emote unless you're trying to overly emote to cover up for something that you're not particularly comfortable with. <laughs> but but is- it's worth listening back to yourself. Like, go record that because most of the time, again, if you're a, a trained and talented singer, this – you probably already know all this. I was going to say this doesn't apply to you. It certainly applies. But you already know this. You know your voice. You know how to use your instrument. Like, that's that's your thing. But for those of us that are, you know, I'll call myself a hack singer that that has yep. gotten that has worked at it over the years. Uh, I find and I find this true not only of me, but everybody 
that I play with, you know, that isn't like a, a singer, everybody that's just like, all right, well, I brought the song and I guess I got to sing it that, you know, those kinds of people, when that over emoting happens, it instantly goes out of tune instantly. And it just sounds bad. It's like you can't have harmonies when it's out of tune or you shouldn't. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, you just, you know, it just doesn't work. And the problem is you mentioned classic rock. You know, go listen to Paul Rogers sing anything. That guy so rarely puts any effort in. You know, he is he just sings it straight. But the problem yeah. is he sounds like Paul Rogers when he sings it straight. Right. And that's why he got to do the things that Paul Rogers gets to do in his career, because he sounds like Paul Rogers, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I don't sound like Paul Rogers. I can hit those notes, but in order to hit them, I've got to work too hard. Uh, and it's 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 very difficult to remember to just relax and sing it and just yeah. be me. I learned that a long time ago with Stevie Wonder. I I have not met anyone in a, in the cover band circuit that can sound like Stevie. I've met plenty, several, maybe not plenty, maybe, maybe plenty. Uh, I've certainly met people that can sound good singing Stevie wonder songs, but the people that do sing them as themselves. And if you try to sound like Stevie, good luck. Cause guess what? We're, we're not all Stevie. In fact, there's only one of them and his name's Stevie wonder, you know, and he's still singing his songs sometimes. So just sing them straight. And and sing it like you find your comfortable way through the song. The more comfortable you can be, the better off it, you're going to be, the better it's going to sound to the crowd, it, the, the better, you know, the harmonies will fit in because you're not singing out of tune. Just be you. It's fine. Yeah, I, I think a lot of that over singing comes from an insecurity like you're probably you, right. Yeah. You gliss up to a note that you're not positive of. And on the way of glissing up, you are searching for the note. Mm -hmm. And then once you finally get there, you're so happy you got there that you want to do something going. special at the end of the note, yeah. you know, to kind of celebrate that you got to the place where you wanted to go. It's all that type of stuff that really separates amateur from professional singers. Professional singers are on pitch on the right on breath, you know, right? Like yes. This, they open their mouth and they're on pitch. And and I think a lot of the oversinging comes from an overcompensation to either a lack of confidence or a lack of technique. You know, it, that's that's what that stuff is. Uh, you're like, well, if I can't start out on pitch, at least I'll dazzle them and make them forget that I that I started out a little flat by holding this note and trying to riff on it for a while. I think that that's a large part of what semi professional or, or amateur singers do yeah. Yeah. is they're just it's a constant process of, of overcompensating. But I. It, it's like in everything in life, it's hard to be simple. And so, you know, the ability to just kind of simplify your approach, simplify your phrasing, find, rehearse, find out what you can do if something is giving you trouble. Yep. You know, and then just you have do to that. change a line. You know, that, that's a, a, a interesting thing. You know, there's a lot of I saw a good thread on one of the other cover band um, discussion boards about, you know, do you play originals spot on to the to the original or do you make it your own and why, you know, like kind of like the iPad discussion, wide range of, of uh, opinions, all these types of things. Of course. But when it comes to singing, I mean, you know, you, it, I just think it's so much better to find what you can do with a piece of music with a, with a vocal line than to poorly recreate something someone else does. And I don't think you should abandon if you can't, do anything. I mean, you know, yeah. I listen to way more live music than I do original studio recordings and it's rarely the same twice in a live environment anyway. 
Uh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are some people that that that's their shtick, right? Is they can deliver live the same way every time and it sounds good. And you know what? Like, that's great. But for the most part, you're right. Yeah, it's this is a live thing. It's, but even yeah, just just sing it um, and understand that maybe that song isn't for you too. like that, you know, and I mean, that's not just as a vocalist, you know, I've certainly found that with the drums, whether I've tried to play songs before and it's like, Oh, maybe this is technically beyond me or the groove. Like I have a really hard time playing grateful dead songs. Uh, And probably because I'm trying to find this weird groove that two drummers found and, and blended together. Right. Like sure. that, that's not a, that's not a thing that one drummer did. It's, you know, it's, th- it's something that two drummers did, but it's, they, their groove is weird because it really does like sit very, like very deeply in the middle of the beat. It's not behind, it's not in front, but it's very deep and like fat in the middle of the beat. And it's weird because if you play it too much like that, it, makes the song like drag and plod along Mm. and they got away with some level of that because the rest of the band fit that thing. Uh, I, you know, so I, it's just one of those things. I, and so when we play grateful dead tunes, I play them the way that I play them well, and then they sound fine, you know, but I don't try to play them like, like those guys did because it's, it, it rarely works for me. And, and it's, you know, and that's okay. Like you gotta, you gotta learn your limitations and either learn how to work around them or learn that it's okay to pull the ripcord and say, yeah, not this song. I'm the, I'm the wrong guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. 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 I love this stuff, Paul. We should, you know what? We should should do this every week. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. I think so. I think so. Uh, So So tonight I'm hosting my, um, my musicians holiday happy hour. So I got probably about 200 local musicians coming, got a good bar, you know, in, uh, in one of the towns that has, uh, you know, live music and the, the format it is kind of fun. So I've done it in one place for a long time, but I want to kind of spread out, you know, it's basically a Monday night of revenue, you know, for these bars that sure. normally wouldn't have any. So you're, um, you're really good at identifying those opportunities and bringing them to bars. Oh. Like I, I, I remember that when we were starting, Cirque de Mac. I was like, how am I going to rent a bar? I'm like a, you know, in the middle of this thing. And you're like, dude, why offer to rent it? It's a Wednesday night. What are they going to fill their bar with people? Exactly. And you're going to pay for all their drinks. Do not pay a rental fee. It's <laughs> like, exactly. oh, yeah, that's right. That's really good you know, advice. Yeah. The concept of leverage is useful in life, right? It, you And you. Yes, I you are one of the, the people that <laughs> taught me that lesson early, early on, at least in my in my my you know professional career. It's like it's. Yeah. Stop and think about that before you walk in. Sometimes, of course, you realize, that, you know, they have the leverage and OK, well, fine. And that's that's just how it is. But yeah, don't sh- don't sell yourself short just because yeah. someone else cut a deal with them on a night they didn't have leverage. If you've got it on this night, well, walk in with it. It's OK. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So uh, be about 200 musicians. Some of them are coming from, you know, maybe 60, 80 miles away, which is kind of cool that they're coming down. There are booking people here. It's a, it's just a nice networking thing. Yeah. It's funny that I've gotten requests, you know, musicians are interesting people who see the world interesting. And so some of the requests I've gotten over time the, have been unusual, but the most interesting tension has been some people want there to be a jam 
Mm. Some, but more people just love the idea of catching up and meeting other musicians and just the networking and socializing. Like we, I, I play all the time. I don't need to play another night. Right. And you know, so th- there's that type of request. Um, you know, I think people find new bandmates. They get to meet people who, who like we have a guy who's uh, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that uh, is a local musician here. So he comes and he's a you know, great member of the local music community. You get to meet people like that. You know, I don't know if Robert Berry will come tonight. He's come in the past, uh, you know, so people who have achieved different levels of success in addition to, you know, local original artists and local cover bands, it's been, it's become a really nice thing. It's grown to a pretty big thing and um, people look forward to it and it's rewarding for me. You know, you're talking about, you know, creating those kind of opportunities. Yeah. You know, over and over again, I don't know, outside of our conversation last week about Nashville and Austin, I think that there's a lot of areas of the country where live music to some degree is on life support. You know, it's it's the number of venues. Sure. You know, the, the summer, the summer seems to have gotten quite vibrant out here with all these outdoor concert series and art and wine festivals. That seems like there's a lot of work through those types of things. And you know, certainly the house rockers do a lot of those. But through the winter and then even like the coffee house, I don't get why this coffee house kills it by having live music. And she said it's changed her business. I don't know why there's not 20 more people in a 50 mile radius trying to do this. It's a, such an easy thing. You know, you walk down to the local coffee house, you get a cup of coffee and you enjoy some music for an hour. It's just, it seems like such an easy, easy formula, but doesn't seem to be happening as much. And, you know, it's interesting because who's buying instruments now and who's playing music now? I mean, I, I know you saw the Jonas Brothers recently, right? I did. I saw That's a new generation of music and musicians, right? Well, kind of. I mean, the Jonas Brothers are actually on their reunion tour right now, which is really fascinating <laughs> to me. Right? Well, like I didn't I, know they left. They, they did. They they went on with their lives. I mean, they started when they were you know kids in their teens or whatever. Uh, and I wound up seeing them with my daughter back then, and then have seen them twice actually on this tour because my daughter is a big fan. But it was interesting, especially the first time that we saw them on this tour watching my, you know, 19-year-old daughter experience mm. a nostalgia act, you know, for firsthand for her. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she's seen plenty of nostalgia acts, but they're nostalgia acts to me, you know, yeah, not right. not to her. So, yeah, that was that was uh, that was interesting, but but what really this especially it was the same two two openers that I saw last week when I saw the Jonas Brothers uh that uh, that I saw the first time it was BB Rexa and Jordan McGraw. And they're both, you know, current, uh, either established or up and coming, depending on your definitions of those, you know, those two things, uh, pop stars. Right. And Jordan McGraw is actually Dr. Phil's son, believe it or not. Uh, but but ah. yeah, but they, he's decent. He's, he's not fantastic. BB, BB Rexa puts on a great show. Uh, she truly she's been a, a songwriter for a long time, kind of behind the scenes and and then recently, you know, came out from from behind the curtain. Uh, but, uh, you know, they both put on fine shows. The thing that blew me away bo- both times, in fact, was their drummers. I, you know, these are people that could very easily come out and just play to tracks and satisfy the people that want to hear them sing their hit songs. Right. It's just the way that particular vibe would work. But they don't. They have full bands on stage and everybody can play really. But their drummers, 
like the guitar players are, are good. And and when given the, their moment to shine and play a lead, they blow you away. Right. Like as they should. These people are being hired to tour with a professional production. Absolutely should be able to shred Bro. when they shred. Right. And they yeah. do. No problem. These drummers, though, it's interesting because the style of drumming that is the norm for these pop stars is something that I would call like massively overplaying all the time. But it fits. And these fills that these guys are doing and and just the grooves that they're playing with the intricacy of all this stuff, it 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 seems like it would be too much. As a drummer, I love it. It doesn't bother me at all. And everybody seems into it. But I mean, the grooves are solid. Don't get me wrong. It's not like they're all over the place, but they are just filling in a lot of stuff. And we when we saw him a couple of weeks ago, we had seats on the floor, which was fun and and all of that. But um, but, you, you know, we couldn't really see We could just see from, you know, the front of the stage when I saw him, I don't know, two months ago or something, we had seats sort of up almost to the side of the stage and the way the stage is built, all the, the there's like holes in the stage where all the texts sit to hand people like guitars and things like that. So they're not coming from the side. The stage is obviously raised up and, and the texts and uh, you know, the people tuning guitars and all that stuff are just sitting uh, sort of in the middle of these holes and they can just hand them up. So we could see all that happening and the drummers drum tech just sat there and laughed all night long watching for the, for BB Rexa, especially watching this guy just like overplay all these fills and everything. And he was just like in, almost encouraging him, you know, to, uh, to, to keep going with it. But the band, like the band leaders obviously love it. Otherwise they would tell him, don't do that. You know, you it, think it's because so many of these uh, recordings today are really heavily produced with a lot of triggers and a lot of sounds yeah. coming in. And that's now the job of the drummer. I think that's exactly it. I mean, there were some songs that these people were playing to tracks live and then also, you know, like the full band was playing and then there was also a track filling in, you know, perhaps some sequenced thing or whatever underneath. Uh, But yeah, I think that's exactly it is these in the studio. The production of these things is adding so much percussion uh, and, you know, all these other things that the drummer now has to fill that in. So it's not overplaying. It's filling it in so that it, it at least has that same sort of, uh, perpetuation of the groove, if you will, that same complexity that you're hearing when the the sum of all the parts sort of happens uh, at the end of the production process. Yeah. So I think that that's now exactly is right. kind of the, the base level of expectation, you know, it, and it's interesting, like, you know, when, when we were growing up, you know, what did we listen to? You know, the classic rock artists of our time. Yeah. But now you listen to, you know, really heavily produced music. And so if you want to be a live performing musician, that I'm, I'm thinking about all those things on YouTube, like these amazing, crazy kid prodigies that that people post videos of, yeah, uh, you know, that, uh, chops that you wouldn't even fathom uh, on on uh, on rock instruments, you know, 20 years ago. And it seems like there's tons of them right now. And I wonder if just because that which is the base level of you know goal of proficiency is a different thing now. It, you know, that's like that's said, true. Yeah, because, I, you know, growing up, I would go see lots of different bands, but I knew when I went to see Rush and Yes, that I was going to watch, you know, world class drummers arguably overplaying. I mean, it fits within their their respective bands, but take those guys out of those bands and put them in like the Stones. And if they played the same way, it would like Mick would turn around and be like, dude, what are you doing? You know, um, 
nowadays that's yeah that's table stakes like i I mean watching these guys was like whoa this is like watching you know neil peart or something i mean that's like the fills that he's doing and all this stuff it's like whoa i I, I gotta go home and work on this like holy crap these guys can play yeah Yeah, there's the title for this week neil peart backing up a boy band (laughs) i thought it was gonna be just sing it straight i (laughs) we'll have to see what comes out of the wash that's right there you go yeah 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 but yeah yeah no it is like neil peart backing up a a boy band or a girl band i mean bb rex uh i'm trying to think most uh she had two female singers with her and i i want to say her bass player was a woman too but that might not be right but yeah, yeah. And the Jonas Brothers drummer is good. He's a solid drummer. He's not like he's he's exactly what you would expect for the Jonas Brothers. And he has been playing live with them since they were kids. Uh, I mean, there's mm-hmm. you know, I don't even think they're 30 yet. So but um, but yeah, yeah. He, you know, he was more like, well, they're a nostalgia act, right? They're not they're not <laughs> the newest thing. They they are, you know, but those guys, those guys are good performers. Um it's interesting. I, I actually find when they sing individually, they over, the, each of them over sings. They are not great singers individually. And I'm sure I'm uh, I'm sh- I know my daughter is is cringing at me saying this. Uh, and I'm sure there's somebody out there that, that wants to vehemently disagree with me, which is fine. Feedback at giggabpodcast.com. I've been wrong many times and I'm sure I'm wrong right now. But um, when those guys sing together, those brother harmonies are killer. And that I think is that plus their energy is, is, you know, what, what really helped them establish themselves back, whatever it was 10 years ago or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They're, they're brother harmonies. Like, you know, that that's, that's how that goes. Right. When you've got family harmonies, it, it, there's, there's not much that can match that mm-hmm. uh, I've found. So yeah. Well, our, our buddies, the Coffins brothers. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's something special. Which is great. That's you know that's that's a wonderful thing. So, yeah. All right. Well, does that do it for us today, Mister Kent? It was, a, it was a meandering road today. It was. It was a, a not that long, but it was a winding road. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see um, Paul McCartney played uh, <laughs> at his wife's Christmas party? I did. Can you imagine? Well, I guess if you attend that party, you kind of know in the back of your mind that it's a possibility. Yeah. But, Still, just to see videos of Paul McCartney singing at a private party. Yeah, whatever, you know, 50 people there or something. And and, and clearly, but it was it was was funny watching him, you know, become being that ever the entertainer. Right. Like he's singing the, the chorus or something and simultaneously like making eyes with the sax player like you're gonna take the solo next right like you know he wasn't gonna let there be dead air it was going to be an entertaining performance like he just did not have it in him to not take charge and make sure this thing gets all the way to where it needs to get to you know it's like that's a pro right there he he knows how to how to take the reins and make sure it works and it it worked yeah i love it it's good that's good well uh, as we said, you can email us feedback at giggabpodcast.com. We would love, truly love to hear from you. If you've got any thoughts about what we said today or um, any topics you'd like us to cover or you want to tell us we're wrong or uh, you could tell us we're right. If you like, we like that too. It's fine. We boost ourselves up and then we'll, then we'll oversing in the next episode. Is that how that works? No, <laughs> I don't think so. I'm, I'm confused. Uh, 
we'll say way out of tune. Way out riff, of tune. Riff, riff, riff. That's right. Stay in our lanes. Uh, yeah, that's all I got. You got anything else? We good? No, here we go. Holiday season. So uh, I wish you a good run here. We'll do a couple more this year and then we'll probably take off, you know, sometime around Christmas. Right. I think that's probably right. Let me look at our uh, let me look at our schedule here. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And then we'll 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 come back around maybe uh, maybe right before New Year's Eve and then talk about that mayhem, too. Who knows? Yeah. Well, in the New Year's Eve gig, the house rockers are doing the city of San Jose wants to kind of create their own Times Square vibe. And so they're doing a big you event. Told us that. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. I'm looking forward. Some of my guys were, you know, like, really, we're playing outside and, and you know, we're in a covered stage. And, and yeah. if it rains, it'll get called off. But but uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting. I'll be inside on New Year's Eve uh, here in 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 Snowmageddon, New Hampshire. So, yeah, yeah, if you can get there, if I yeah, that that has been an issue in the past. We had a Christmas gig when we did this Rocky Horror last year, year before. And I, I have a rule. I tell everybody that I play with if there's more than four inches predicted, four inches of snow predicted, anyone can say, let's cancel the gig. And there's no judgment allowed by anybody else. Uh, because it can wind up being a really unsafe scenario. Uh, and so that's that's just my rule. If there's more than four inches, anybody has the ripcord and it's OK. And probably if you pull it, you just made, you know, several other people really happy. Uh, but it's tough when, you know, there's there's, you know, 250 tickets sold or whatever it is to fill the theater. And there's. You know, another 25 people involved in the production and all that. But I, I almost pulled the ripcord that night. It was like there was six inches on the ground and more coming. And I was like, I don't know that this is like we're not saving lives here. I don't know that we need to do this. <laughs> <laughs> like, is this do we really want, you know, somebody having an accident? And and I think actually it was that night that somebody on the way to the theater, um, their car spun out in the snow or and, uh, they did make it there and everything. But I was like, oh, really? Is this smart? I don't know that it is. I don't know that it is. I, I, I recommend that if you're in a band and you're in a snowy climate that you collectively decide whatever your, you know, weather cancellation policy is amongst yourselves. Yeah. Just so that no one is really, no one should feel pressured to do something that they don't feel safe doing in terms of driving to or from a gig. Cause it's the, from the gig that can be a real problem because the plows don't sometimes aren't out at two in the morning or whatever it is. You know, they might wait until 6am to, to clear the roads. So yeah. Uh, there you go. Well, that's 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 all we need for this one. I think I think it's time yep. to, uh, to fade it out. Thanks to uh, meetcircle.com slash giggab for sponsoring this episode. Go check it out. Thanks, Circle. Hey, Thanks. hey, Dave. Hey, Paul. Hey, um, just remember one thing. Yeah. What's that? Just always be performing, will ah, you? I will. You too. Thanks. 